Andy Kaufman came in to turn reality on its head and not stop when the camera stopped. Andy Kaufman cared less about making his audience laugh than keeping them confused. He blew my mind. When I heard I had the part, I was looking at the ocean, and that's the moment when Andy came back to make his movie. Hello. What happened after was out of my control. Andy, that's enough, perfect. I don't like it. I want to do one more. Andy felt it was necessary to stay in the character. He's exactly the way Andy was. It's totally surreal. And this crazy melodrama started happening all over the place. Jimmy said they came down hard. Who's they? Universal didn't want the footage we took behind the scenes to surface so that people wouldn't think I was an asshole. Andy, you have to give me a chance to make a movie. I don't need to make a movie. I don't need to make a movie. I was thinking, how far should I take this? I see. Soundcheck. It's working. How far would Andy take it? So, uh, Jim and Andy, the great beyond. Do I have that title right? Is that the title? Um, I, 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 I thought we were going with, um, what was another side of the moon? Isn't that the name I gave it or that the San Francisco Chronicle gave it? Your, uh, your title is better. It also reminds me of like a Reese Witherspoon film from the nineties. <laughs> it's a really terrible uh, VHS box cover. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but I think it was something moon. Oh, okay. So if in this movie that you're imagining another side of the moon, is it Reese Witherspoon kind of like sitting um, in a rowboat on a lake looking up at the moon and half of Jim Carrey's face is in the moon? Well, that's terrifying what you just concocted there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first image that came to mind. <laughs> this is uh, Chris Maynard, my co-host on this show. <clears throat> just want to get that out there in case you have any complaints or criticisms about the podcast and what he he forces you to confront which is his own <laughs> fake movies that we're coming up with uh i do miss the spec scripts that we came up with uh on war machine versus warhorse when we got tired of talking about the movie so thankfully this show is a little bit shorter i actually hope you enjoyed this one i've never talked with you about andy kaufman so i don't know if you're if you ever went through an andy kaufman phase but i, I did around the time man on the man on the moon came out like i i got into this the the hype of this and learning about this guy this crazy shit that i wish i'd been live to to see but maybe maybe you weren't into annie kaufman maybe he just really got on your nerves so where, where do you stand on him before we get into this movie i was a i was an andy kaufman fan um i was a fan before the man on the moon man on the moon what, what, what is the name of that movie uh before that came out and i just didn't know a lot about him though um, so I didn't know much about the wrestling and the, that aspect of it. So, I mean, sort of a casual fan. I, you know, enjoyed taxi. I saw the stuff from SNL. So I knew a little bit about him, but then once the movie came out, I read a couple of the books and one of my favorite stories that I heard about him was the time when he took everybody at radio city music hall out for milk and cookies afterwards. 
And the, the sort of side note to that was, um, he had Santa on stage the whole time. And do, do you know the story? I feel like I've heard this before, but I don't, I don't remember the Santa thing. And so Santa is on stage with him the entire time and he's doing this whole like Christmas special and it's very sweet and sincere, not Kaufman-esque at all. It's actually just a really nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Santa that was on stage the entire time who never took credit for it, just a guy dressed up there was Robin Williams. Oh shit. That's pretty Yeah. Nice. Just one of, one of those cool little Andy Kaufman stories that you would hear about that he was kind of, he was really into fucking with his image and sort of the, the show never stopped for him. And there was always a performance going on that only maybe him or one or two other people were privy to, but he kind of just enjoyed that aspect of it. And it was the anarchist aspect of it was something that I feel that I think appeals to most teenagers. That, that was one concern I had because I didn't know if going back and watching this would be, you know, akin to, uh, I don't know, like watching like jackass probably was, something when I actually was a teenager that was more in line with attempting to do Kaufman like stunts. And I can't say those have aged well. Like there's really nothing to revisit with <laughs> men just hurting themselves physically for your own amusement. So did, did they age poorly? I mean, they, they are what they are. It's just, it's YouTube now. Well, I, I did feel like going back to watch this and, and maybe it's because in this film you're being, you know, you're being guided by uh, an enthusiast, Jim Carrey, who played the man in the, the Milos Foreman film. Um, I wondered if seeing some of Kaufman's shtick, if, like you said, the the wrestling women thing or uh, the, the Mighty Mouse bit, if I would watch it now and be like, why was I into this so much? And uh, th- thankfully not, not because I, you know, that would have been depressing. And there's a lot of times on these podcasts when I revisit something where I'm like, well, uh, the world is a little bit darker and bleaker than it once was, and uh, not so much here. So I, I did did enjoy revisiting this, but I also uh, have to bring the darkness back. I picked an incredibly bleak film for this. I did not pick a comedy, unless you're a sick, twisted guy. Um, <laughs> and you may Same be, here. Um, mine has a lot of laughs, but I'm not sure that it's a comedy. I, I went with, uh, and it's a film I've referenced a lot, which is uh, probably why our uh, downloads for all of my podcasts are, are not, you know, iTunes new and noteworthy because it's not a very popular film. And uh, it's one we've never actually covered on a show. And I picked Sean Penn's 2001 film, The Pledge, with Jack Nicholson, probably my favorite Jack Nicholson performance. And it is incredibly bleak. Like. <laughs> <laughs> of a young girl has just been found. She was a second grader. I guess that put her about seven and a half, eight. Who did this? We intend to find out. Do you promise me that you will? Yes, Mrs. Larson, I... I promise. Sherry, for Christ's sake, you're retiring. Well, I'm trying to fit all the pieces together, fill in the gaps. You did have a daughter that went missing three years ago, didn't you? Thought you were supposed to be fishing. Need more time on this. No offense, but you're retired. You don't work here anymore. Jimmy drew a picture of a giant. She called him the wizard. He was as big as a mountain. I have reason to believe that she was meeting with this man seen here. And you see this big black car? Come on, Jerry. You gotta start getting on with your life. I made a promise, Eric. 
You're old enough to remember when that meant something. Beautiful little girl. Oh, thank you. She'll be eight next month. Humor me, Doc. I need to know who I'm looking for. You could expect another incident with him. A matter of months. Best if you and the girl stayed out here with me for a while. I want you to promise me something. Anybody tries to talk to you, I want you to tell me. Hi. Oh. You promise me that? I promise. I met the wizard today. There's no wizard, Jerry. You don't know what you are dealing with here. Where's Chrissy? This guy is real, and I know it. Percy! Percy! Jerry! No! I made a promise. I intend to keep it. <laughs> it's it's sort of amazing that even with uh, Nicholson sort of post as good as it gets, that someone still is like, really this this story? Because there's really no chance of this this breaking out. But it's a it's about a retired uh, police officer who. Uh, makes a pledge as the title of the film to to catch uh, this child killer and even follows through with it after he retires, dedicates his life to that pursuit, that one thing. So that's when you said that, you know, Kaufman was always all in, always in character, that his life became his, you know, his, his comedy act 24-7. That's what I was thinking of was that commitment because I did wonder revisiting if I, as an adult, would find that as charming or as awesome to throw your your life away in a, in a sort to uh, to just this one idea, this this one profession, and so that's that's why I went with the pledge with Jack Nicholson because uh, that that's a film that also I I feel like you can admire the character because it's it's a noble pursuit. I mean, it's a killer of children, <laughs> but. <laughs> It's a hell of a way to spend your life you know, to just focus on that darkness. So, yeah, uh, Jim and Andy, the great beyond. Have a ball with it. <laughs> it's a hell of a double feature you lined up there. Oh, well, you got to save. I'm throwing you. you know, I'm throwing you a bone. So anything you say I, I, now, it, even you know if what? It's I, I, Schindler's List. It's probably funnier than this. I, I think the Grizzly Man's funnier than it. You went with Grizzly Man. <laughs> Jesus. For 13 years, Timothy Treadwell lived among the grizzly bears in the Alaskan wilderness. During that time, he shot over 100 hours of videotape. Until 2003, when he was killed by one of the bears he had sworn to protect. Well, I'm here with one of my favorite bears. It's Mr. Chocolate. Hi, Mr. Chocolate. He's been with me for over a decade, and he's been my good friend. Oh, he's a big bear. He's a big bear. A very big bear. Wow. When you spend a lot of time with bears day after day, there's a calling that makes you want to come in and, and spend more time in the world. Expedition 2001, I came here and protected the animals as best I could. In fact, I'm the only protection for these animals out here. Animals rule. Timothy conquered. He tended to want to become a bear. Most times I'm a kind warrior out here. Occasionally I am challenged, and in that case, the kind warrior must, must, must become a samurai. 
I think he had lost sight of what was really going on. Where he got what he was asking for, he got what he deserved. Come here and try to do what I do. You will die. You will die here. We need more rain! Melissa is eating her babies! Ah, uh, Timothy, I'm getting a bad feeling about you. I can smell death all up my fingers. I will die for these animals. I will die for these animals. I will die for these animals. This is a dark episode. <laughs> <laughs> there, the, <laughs> I went with Grizzly Man for so many reasons, um, but I'll, I'll start with just this. Um, that just from the documentary themselves, not about Kaufman, but about Jim Carrey playing Kaufman and doing this movie and the way that he's performing for the camera, even when it's off and that he's performing for this documentary that's being made. That was, I I assume supposed to be a bonus feature on the DVD, something like that. Um, that universal, uh, supposedly pulled from what the film tells us, uh, because they didn't want Jim Carrey to look like an asshole. And, I, mean, I would believe it. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it seems legitimate because he, I mean, he does look like an asshole. Yeah. He comes across, this is not good marketing for people saying like, I'm going to go see man on the moon over the Christmas holiday. This guy's a jerk. That's sure. And that's kind of what I, I was thinking about the idea of having this footage that was shot for one purpose. And then years later having it repurposed for sort of a different reason and so that that's kind of what drew me in with that. The idea that you have with Grizzly Man, this you know man who goes off in the woods, these bears, and it eventually leads to his demise. And with this, you have this kind of character that really, I think, changes the trajectory of Jim Carrey's career. That after this performance, I don't think he really ever found his way back into the thing that he was comfortable in before. And I don't think that he ever wanted to get back into there or had no interest in it. And he's sort of changed the things that he's interested in after that for better or for worse as a fan. Um, I personally think for the better because he's done more interesting things. They might be more inconsistent, but it seems like he does try more out there stuff now. Yeah, I think that was, I mean, obviously the the death of uh, Andy Kaufman at a young age is, uh, incredibly sad and, and touched upon in, in both this film and uh, man on the moon. But like the pledge, there was stuff that I didn't realize about Jim Carrey that I admire as far as his philosophy, but it's also depressing because it feels like he's unable to tap into this persona that he had. And maybe that's personal growth, but as someone that, you know, I, I'm, we've discussed the cable guy, our previous episode. Yeah. So that's, that's Jim Carrey, uh, comic superstar with a little bit darker, but it's, it's in the same ballpark as, you know, dumb and dumber Ace Ventura, those type of movies, which I've liked, I've liked, you know, some of that, the earlier stuff. It's a little sad that he has this, I mean, maybe it's a healthy perspective on it, on his contributions to the world, <laughs> but it's also, it's, I feel like someone needs to tell him to buck up just a little bit. Like, you know, he is, he is, he's a little bit too, uh, bigger picture, uh, in some of his, some of his responses here where I, I think he has a line where he's like, I don't want anything anymore. And one side of that is that's incredibly healthy. To, you know, he's not really beholden. He's achieved what he feels like he needs to achieve or what he wanted to achieve. But 
I think if you're a fan of somebody, you want them to always be to have that itch or always be mm. trying, clawing to get somewhere new. And this satisfaction he has to me just lends me, you know, that I believe that we're not going to see much from Jim Carrey going further. And I find that a little sad. Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> he's cut himself off from that, that financially. Yeah, he's right. He doesn't need to do anything else. Um he seems to be more into painting now than into acting. And yeah, there's certainly a loss there because I would like to see him doing more roles. But I, I at first, my thought was that immediately after this, he kind of went to shit that there was a huge downward turn in the quality of the films he did. And that's actually not the case that for several years afterwards, he was still doing really interesting work. It's just been in about the you know last five years or so that he's really, slowed down if not stopped completely it seems like the uh the superhero movie the kick-ass 2 was kind of the last straw for him i think he well he had something uh, uh basically an aversion to being anything violent anymore right i believe right. He, he sort of came to the conclusion that uh this this type of entertainment does contribute to the culture in a negative way which is um that's respectful i mean but uh, you know, on the flip side of that, he, you know, I felt like with Kick-Ass 2, he was also going back to, to trying <laughs> sort of weirder shit. You know, I thought yeah. like it was, you know, it was a little side part that I never would have imagined Jim Carrey doing. Um, I don't know. I just want him to hook up with uh, Gondry again. You know, do, do just the filmmakers that he was comfortable with or felt like pushed him and he could push them. I hope he does that. I no offense, man. I hope his paintings suck. I hope he's like uh, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh, who tried that and then was like, "Hey, I'm not any good at this. I need to have a camera in my hands." And now he's back. Well, he has the one line about Gondry where he says, you know, something about how how sad he was and how broken he was, and they're going to be filming the movie in two years or however it was. Mm-hmm. Make sure you don't heal in that time. <laughs> so, well, okay, that's m- the other maybe thing. his walking away might be a healthy thing. Okay, that's that's. I think that's. There, there'd be a lot of people that if I was showing them this film or, or told them to check it out uh, in real life, I know that they would find it interesting to a point, but then there would be, <laughs> there would be that break where they'd be like, you know what? It's just a fucking job. It's a job that pays you millions of dollars. Why are you, why are you making it so hard? Like what, what is that famous uh, legend? I don't know if it's actually real where uh, Lawrence Olivier, I think is on marathon man. Um, when he, he saw Dustin Hoffman, like had been like running all night cause he wanted to mm-hmm. like be exhausted for a scene it was like, my dear boy, why don't you try acting for a change? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know any friends that, you know, quote Olivier, but they would have some choice words where they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I have my own problems and I, I can't really have too much empathy for this, this guy. Do you, do you feel like Jim and Andy, this documentary overcomes that in any way? Oh God, no. No, <laughs> it just embraces it it. it. it completely embraces it. In fact, it's at times it's trying to be an extension of the Andy Kaufman mythos, and then but it it does nothing to <laughs> make uh, Jim Carrey more approachable. I think that that's by design. That that's probably why Jim Carrey wanted to do this was that he could kind of make himself into this other character, this version. He wants to affect the way that people view him, I guess. And at least that's what it feels like. I have no idea. Um, 
but as far as this being something that your average film goer could watch or that, you know, I could sit down and watch this with my wife, I don't think she would get any enjoyment out of this at all. I get a kick out of it and enjoy it, but I completely get that this doesn't do a lot for making Jim Carrey look good or adding to my enjoyment of the film that it's based around either. So it's kind of, uh, I enjoyed this documentary, but it kind of takes away a little bit of the things that were interesting about, uh, man in the moon. I think that's where, uh, where my pick can, can beat yours. If we're going to turn this into a competition, which I like to do when I feel like I have, I have a shot. Um, <laughs> Especially now, like, you know, I talked about the pledge being something that not many people have seen. I feel like if it came out now, people would find it more understandable, especially with like the, the obsession with like true crime, like post serial world. Uh, people seem to find it maybe not normal, but it's almost mainstream now to have this deep dive into these heinous crimes and like devoting yourself until you like get all the pieces of the puzzle and you, you know what happened. And I also feel the same way about Zodiac. Like, you know, I, th- I feel like if the Zodiac film had, would come out in the last year or so that it actually would have been a big hit. Like people would be like, mm. Oh, I totally get the Jake Gyllenhaal character. Yes. This, you know, a film that once seemed uh, unmarketable because they don't have a, uh, a gotcha moment with the killer where they, they reveal Scooby Doo style who it was uh, definitively. <laughs> I feel like now people would like that even more like that. To, to take that extra step to like dive into it. I So go ahead. this is a procedural in your estimation? I, I don't think the pledge is because you know it's it's very slow and it's it's about yeah. it's about a man who is willing to give up the living for the dead, for this this dead child that he didn't know. Like that it, it is just a name on a piece of paper to him. Um but I think people would can understand that uh, as honorable, and I, I mean I think that's something that your film actually speaks to a lot. You you have people in the film, you know, shaking their fucking heads at this guy as far as what he was doing out there. And uh, it's one thing I really like about Grizzly Man that it is kind of at least brought up that this guy was doing more harm than good by you know supposedly protecting the bears. Um, he's certainly not helping their image by getting himself <laughs> killed out there. Yeah, um, th- that's true. But I think with the way that it ties in to um, when it, the, the, it has an effect on, it has the opposite effect, both these documentaries than they were intended to initially, where this was supposed to be a publicity piece for the Andy Kaufman film. And it ended up being this thing that came out 20 years later that, it kind of takes everything down a peg and doesn't really, it's an interesting movie, but I don't think it causes you to really, it doesn't add anything to it. If anything, it's the other film that I was thinking about for this was F is for fake because I kind of got the same impression with this that I, that was putting on a show the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so those moments when I can't, I just, I should have this open in front of me, but I can't remember the name of, you know, this guy who's going out in the woods and living with these bears, he's putting on this show the whole time and we can see, you know, the things that he had intended on cutting out and we get to see kind of behind what he was 
envisioning this was going to look like. And then the reality of what it is, knowing what we know, it's something totally different. And that's kind of what I was thinking with both of these, that they have the uh, actual a negative impact on what they were initially supposed to be. And so I really think that this movie, Jim and Andy, kind of hurts Man in the Moon a little bit. Because um, the process and, sort of reveals the magician's tricks in a way. Or it's, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that's something that Andy Kaufman never wanted to let people in on the gag. And I think that's what they do a little bit too much here. I mean, Zamuda is still keeping up the the bit. He never let go. And you got to love him for that. But uh, the thing is, he can disappear. Jim Carrey can't really disappear. Or I guess he could have after this, but that would have been serious commitment to this role. Well, one thing I like about this not coming out then, uh, and I've not watched Man on the Moon probably since that time period when I was a teenager, um, it would have felt extremely self-serving, I think, at that point, it would have felt like uh, they would have packaged it with the film for an Oscar screener. Like, look how far Jim Carrey went for this. <laughs> and, of course, you know, ignored as, as he usually was. Um, but watching it now, um, I don't know. It's, it is, it's strange because the, the counterpoint seems to be Jim Carrey himself, who seems to have lost all like, sort of enthusiasm for not just this project, but any <laughs> you know project. And, I I don't think, you know, I thought it was going to be him looking back maybe wistfully on like, man, yeah. I was really crazy. <laughs> uh, not so much here. It's just, it's just like one, it's like this thing he did and he can't, he can't really retrace his steps. And I found, I actually found that really effective uh, and a bit jarring there. So I, I, I dug it, but I agree with you um, that I don't, I don't really want it to be the uh, the second disc in a box set with Man <laughs> on the Moon. I, d- I don't think that they're meant to to be a double feature. Uh, like, obviously, the pledge is with this film. It's meant to be. <laughs> no, th- those two will be lined up next to each other. Um, how long did you work in a video store? Let's see. I worked uh, three years in high school. So yep. You were pairing people's double features with some frequency. And these, these are two that you would have lined up for somebody? I I don't know if I ever recommended the pledge um, based on because I'm trying to remember if that was that might have been right at the tail end uh, for me of my uh, my video store days but I don't think I would have paired it up with anything and I can't imagine what it would have been but I'm sure I would have been soundly <laughs> or roundly rejected by the I, small town Kentucky. You pair it up with a glass of wine and a bottle of Xanax. The, the only story and I'm sure I've told this before on the podcast. The, the only time I gave like a really hard sell to someone was when it was an older gentleman who asked me for my uh, opinion and he was he liked crime movies gangster movies and i recommended miller's cross miller's crossing to him and uh <laughs> he needed to get the hi-hat well he he gave me the hi-hat because he came back vhs days you know dating me uh did not rewind because i think he wanted me to know where he stopped and uh may have been halfway through the film um, says you didn't care for it and never asked for my input again. Uh, but you know what? I still felt good about it. I felt like that was, that was his loss, not mine. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't, di- I don't disagree with you on that, but the pledge is a harder sell. The pledge I would have understood more. Someone saying, all right, that's, that's, that's enough out of you. Uh, <laughs> Randall want to be Randall. I don't, I don't think so. So, you know, that's actually the exact reaction that I had to the movie when I watched the pledge. Um, I enjoyed it, but when it was done, it was, okay, that's enough out of you. 
I was, I don't ever need to go back to that again. It's a great film, really well made, but dear God, I, I spent enough time in that world. I mean, your, your film Grizzly Man certainly has a payoff. I mean, we have a, <laughs> we have a solid endpoint uh, for that pursuit. And um, that's, that's something I always admired about the pledge, but yeah, it just, it just leaves you and the, the character hanging. There's, there's, it never ends this, this quest. <laughs> Do do you get the feeling, um, just reminded me of something that I wanted to mention before when you're watching Jim and Andy, that that was literally all the footage they recorded with Jim Carrey, that he sat down for 20 or 30 minutes mm. and that's everything he said. Cause it feels like there was no real editing there. I mean, they cut in and out of it, but some of the stuff they included, I, it doesn't feel like that they, you know, they sat down with him for, you know, 10, 15 hours over the course of four or five days and really went into it. feels like it was just, you know, kind of a few minutes that they did it and they built a documentary around it. Man, there was a, what, oh, it was the De Palma documentary where, uh, that guy, a true showman and director, uh, <laughs> they apparently filmed that over like a month or more. And he yeah. came back in the same outfit cause he, for continuity's sake, like it would be one long conversation. Uh, no, I, I get what you what you mean because they really they hold on his pauses and him like trying to gather <laughs> what few thoughts he sort of has on you know, their their questions. Uh, there, there's a cool series called uh, uh, DP Thirty, which is uh, David Poland's interview series on YouTube, yeah. and uh, it's you know as the title, it's just him in 30 minutes with whoever the the subject is. Now, unfortunately, his questions are usually like my questions whenever we do an interview on the podcast, which are like really cringeworthy when I listen back to him. And I just want to cut them all out and just have the, the person talk. <laughs> and oftentimes I will try to cut my own questions out. Uh, but I really like that interview style where you see someone's – I mean obviously you can't see their entire thought process, but you, you don't get the, the slick uh, – you know, cut to in their immediate reaction as if they already had an answer, like they're on a talk show and it's, it's been pre-screened. Sure. Uh, you, you get that here with, uh, and I don't know, maybe that's just how that's just the, the cadence of Jim Carrey now. But, uh, yeah, he's, I, I think, I think the most people, if they just happen to stumble across this on Netflix, will expect him to be on or enthusiastic. Like this was a passion project of his. And it certainly <laughs> was, I mean, he's, he had to be to go, to do it the way he did to throw himself into it, but certainly not in the interview portion. And, um, that, that may tilt how you feel about the whole thing. Um, more so I think just by including, including his, I don't know, stoic. I mean, what would you call it? What would you call his demeanor here? Yeah, it's stoic, but it's also, it's one thing if he's kind of meandering in his thoughts and, you know, takes his time putting everything together. But, he seems disinterested. He doesn't seem like he's recalling something with any joy. It's just, it, he might as well be talking about his 1997 tax return at times. It just feels like very matter of fact, this is something I went through. Um, this is something I experienced. These are kind of my thoughts on it. I, I was out there. Look at it. And then that's kind of it. And it doesn't, I, I don't know. It's, um, that just reminded <laughs> me, I have a better pick now okay yeah please uh dp30 interview with tommy lee jones on uh <laughs> what is that movie he directed with hillary swank uh, oh oh shit we did that the western um the homesman is that what it's called yes 
Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, check check that out. That that is thirty minutes of glorious disinterest. Uh, <laughs> where I think he his most often refrain is, "I have no idea what you're talking about." To these questions, <laughs> like it is. I I tell you when I when I've had a bad day. I, I turn that on on my phone and go to sleep to Tom Lee Jones, just baffled by these questions he's getting <laughs> about. To him, it's just a job. He just made a movie, and you like it or you don't. So that's that is the uh, that's what I want to see from Netflix twenty years from now is <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones trying to recall the Homesman and just baffled that anyone cares at this point. Is it up there with um, the Nutty Professor's one of his last interviews? where he was um, talking to the Hollywood reporter and he was just completely disinterested in what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, I I didn't really care for, for that one. And that's usually in my wheelhouse. Um, No, no. Why? Yeah. Because his, uh, his answers, you know, I, I I like a good antagonistic old man, but you still got to be entertaining (laughs) in a way you got, you got to be funny with your, your your you know pithy responses and just being that short with it um that my only i, I tell you what my issue with that is that the interviewer <laughs> I, I i could never could tell if he was playing the part of just like going through his note cards or if he was actually you know if he was actually nervous or not but i i wish he had just <laughs> continued to ask like even more detailed questions just to see if <laughs> you know lewis would stay in character but I don't know. There were there were some people after the the man's passing that said that was unfair of the Hollywood Reporter or whatever it was. No, it's he was just an asshole. It's fine. <laughs> he earned the right to be an asshole. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Right. <laughs> I think he was okay with it. Yeah. Why, why are they defending him in death? Like they, you know, they they, you know, they popped up and surprised this old man, and he didn't know how to do it, conduct himself. He knew exactly what he was doing. It's yep, fine. I agree. <laughs> That's how we're going to wrap this one up. Jay Lewis, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> to the grave. Another dead man down. I mean, it, it, geez, did we touch on anybody that has sexual harassment allegations this week? Anybody that's going to rape anybody anytime I soon? Uh, uh, Gr- Grizzly man's dead, so I think we're safe. Um, Jim Carrey had that sort of controversial relationship where his girlfriend committed suicide. So That's right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I should leave that in or not. Maybe just at the end, while uh, the music's playing from that, uh, the band you recommended from Tucson. <laughs> this sort of lively song is playing. We're like, oh yeah, Jim Carrey. Yeah, maybe not that good of a guy. I don't know. Anyway, next week. <laughs> So next week, we are going to stick with comedy, and maybe this time we'll actually pick two other comedies instead of films about child death or grizzly bear maulings. We'll see. But the new film is called Mr. Roosevelt, which is currently on Netflix after debuting in limited theatrical and VOD uh, this previous month. So hopefully you get a chance to check that out before our episode. Uh, if not, you're just going to rely on us to try to explain it and probably do a very poor job. But if you like what we do, you can go to followingfilms.com where there are many other great podcasts like Chris's interview show called Following Films. 
or one of my shows called The Grand Gesture, which looks at romantic comedies, and I promise they actually are funny. As far as social media for this podcast, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Projecting Film. Thank you for listening. If you don't already do so, please subscribe on iTunes. Did acting change for you? I mean, you started as kind of like the hunky guy and you, you've evolved over the years. I mean, was it always, it, it didn't seem like maybe it was as challenging in the early years of your career as it became. You got, seemed to have gotten better, I guess. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you found more interesting roles. It, got, it, it seems like you got more complicated stuff as you went along, or is that not a fair perception? I wouldn't know. I, I don't think about acting in those terms. You, I, I suppose you, you, you're doing what a lot of people do. You're asking me to figure out what's you know how, how all these roles are alike. Well, whereas uh, do you I'm think about that at all? I mean, do you do you look no. back? I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to make them all different. Mm-hmm. So, did you? I mean, are you a person who reflects on old work at all, or no. kind of once you're done, you're done with a piece, with a particular film, or whatever? Do you watch your films? Um. No, not my, no, I'm, no need to, really, I, I was there. <laughs> mm. So what's your favorite part of the acting side of it? What's, what's the part that makes you, is it on set and doing the work? Is it prepped? Is it? I don't know if I have a favorite part. I, I'm, I'm afraid I can't get my mind to address such a question.